0: You guys excited for a good day at church? Real quick, everyone take a deep breath in and exhale. That is what I want today to feel like. That is what I want this sermon to be for you. I have this sense that there are a lot of people in this room and watching online who are carrying a whole lot of stuff right now and just need a chance to exhale and be reminded that the creator of the universe loves you, has a plan and a purpose for your life, and is here to meet with you, and talk to you. As we open God's word today, I want you to remember that, because this is week three of Right Side Up, a series we've been excited about for a year now. Because here's the thing, for my entire life, I have heard and have been guilty of preaching that Jesus came to flip things upside down. If you want to be first, be last. If you want to be great, serve. If you want to find your life, give it away. It sounds upside down, right? We realized a while back, though, that Jesus was actually just putting things back to the way they were before the fall. It's actually our world that's upside down. Jesus came to turn things right side up. So that's what we're, we're talking about. And authentic, authenticity in a, a world that is full of, of performing and humility in a world that's full of ego and generosity in a stingy world and unity in a divided world and light in a dark world and love in a hate-filled world, like we could go on and on in this sermon series for six months. In fact, I wrote three sermons for today. I'm currently giving number two out of three, i I'm kidding. I Wish I was at that point in my life. I had 20 pages of notes. And I was talking to Doug and E, and I said, here's what I'm really trying to say, that Jesus brought simplicity to a complex world. And they said, yeah, why don't you just say that? So I threw out my 20 pages of notes, and that's all I got for us. I wanna preach a very simple message today, but a message that has been working on me for quite some time now. We're gonna call it Simplicity in a complex world, anybody have uh, any complicated situations going on in their life? Anybody have anything that's that's making life complex? That's all of us, right? Because we're all human beings. I just believe that, that Jesus has um, uh, an invitation into simplicity for us today. So we're gonna get into it. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for this space. We thank you for your grace. Would you be here with us now? Teach us how to turn the world right side up uh, In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. You guys take a seat. Thank you all for being here today and joining us for week three. I need to start with a confession. Is that okay? Safe space? Can't turn the cameras off? <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, here's my confession. I love books. And in 2022, that makes me a nerd. And you know what? I'm okay with it. I love them fiction books, memoirs, I'll read systematic theology. I don't care, just give me a book and I'm happy. Here's how you know I, I, my love for books is at another level. I even love the dedications in books. Am I preaching to anyone right now? Like I'm the weird guy at Barnes and Noble like going through the books, looking at the dedications and putting them back up on the shelves. To me, if you can get a good dedication, I'm in, I'm hooked. So I thought, well, why don't we have some fun? I wanna share a few of my favorite dedications. The first one, uh, Colin Jost wrote a, a memoir a couple years back and his dedication started was this. To my mom and dad and my brother Casey, you're like family to me. <laughs> it was 6 a.m., I was flying to, to Utah last summer and I got the audible version of that book. I was like, oh, I'll give it a shot. And that's the first thing I heard was his voice saying that. and I thought. Okay, Colin, I'm in, let's do this, right? Or um, I I grew up reading a book series called A Series of Unfortunate Events. (laughs) Daniel Handler, or as you may know him by his pen name, Lemony Snicket, he started each book with a dedication to this fictional woman named Beatrice, and every time the new book would come out, the first thing I would do is turn right to the dedication because they were always hilarious. My favorite one was from book eight, the hostile hospital, if anybody remembers. He says this, for Beatrice, summer without you is as cold as winter. Winter without you is even colder. And for my sixth grade mind, that was the epitome of humor. (laughs) This week I googled some of the best dedications. Let's read a few. This book is dedicated to my father, Joseph Hill Evans, with love. Actually, dad doesn't read fiction, so if someone doesn't tell him about this, he'll never know. That's a part of a five book series and each dedication gets better. It's like, still love my dad, hasn't said anything about the dedication yet. Or this one, this was a math teacher, finished his textbook. To my wife and my children, without whom this book would have been completed two years earlier. (laughs) Or how about this one? For everyone with a red line under their name in Microsoft Word, (laughs) when your last name is Weckman, and you grow up trying to learn how to spell, and then every time Microsoft Word's telling you you're making a mistake? My, my, my. Dedications are amazing, but in my opinion, all of these dedications are competing for second place. One book dedication stands out above all the rest. It is C.S. Lewis's dedication in the beginning of *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*. So C.S. Lewis was uh, this brilliant 20th-century thinker, theologian, philosopher, apologist, professor. We quoted him, Doug quoted him last week. We quote him most weeks because he was so good with words, and he took complex uh, ideas and made a way for them to, to, for us to understand them in simple ways. But in the height of his success, quote unquote success, he stopped and he wrote seven books, children's books that we call the Chronicles of Narnia. Amazing, they're, they're fun, they're full of adventure but there's, there's something so much deeper being communicated underneath. And it, but it begs the question, why would somebody at the height of like the intellectual ascent stop and write seven children's books? Well, I believe he hid the answer to that question in his dedication uh, to the very first one, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I need to pause for a second for the Narnia fans out there because The Magician's Nephew, chronologically speaking, is actually the first book. However, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was the first one that he wrote, and so my statement holds water. I just didn't want some of you to like lose me for the rest of the, the sermon. So uh, C.S. Lewis, or Clive Staples Lewis, I, I love that name. I also feel like like uh, when he finished his first book and it said Clive Staples Lewis on it, like his friends pulled him aside like, hey Clive, we love you. great book. Maybe we go with like C.S. Lewis though, you know? So C.S. Lewis writes this dedication at the beginning of The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe and it says this. My dear Lucy, Lucy was his goddaughter and if you know the Narnia stories, Lucy is one of the main characters. So already we know that that he wrote Lucy into the story. Says this, I wrote this story for you. But when I began it, I had not realized that girls grow quicker than books. As a result, you are already too old for fairy tales. And by the time it is printed and bound, you will be older still. My entire sermon can be summed up by this next sentence but someday you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. You can then take it down from the upper shelf, dust it, and tell me what you think of it. I shall probably be too deaf to hear and too old to understand a word you say, but I shall still be your affectionate godfather, C.S. Lewis. So good, the best. What is C.S. Lewis saying here? I think C.S. Lewis is saying, hey, life is really simple until it's not. Life is really simple until the phone call comes in, until the breakup happens, until the betrayal happens. Life is really simple until you get laid off. Life is really simple until you get betrayed. Life is really simple until the doctor calls with bad news. Like at some point in life, the simple life that we're living becomes very complicated. And we could all pass the mic around right now and tell stories uh, about about the day that we realized that. For some of you, way too young, realizing that life is actually really complicated. And when life gets complicated, we have to get smart. And when we get smart, we become too smart for fairy tales, become too smart for kids' books. And I think what C.S. Lewis is keying into is the same thing that, that Jesus keyed into 2,000 years ago, that although that's true, there is actually an invitation to keep going through the complexity and find simplicity on the other side. That when Jesus saw a bunch of like intellectuals talking about weighty theological matters, he points at a child and he goes, hey, they're actually closer to heaven than you are, with a little wink. Because simplicity, complexity has to happen. We can't skip over it. It's part of the human experience. But if we keep going through it, I just believe that there will come a day when we're ready for children's stories again. That's my goal for today, to help communicate to, uh, that to us as best as I can because let's be real, there's eight billion people in the world, billions of people who have come before us and all of us have one thing in common. We all live in a complicated world. We all experience the complexity of bad things happening and people being mean and fallouts like, have you ever had two people um, who like had a huge falling out and you're at a party with one of them and, and it's a great night and you're having fun and everything's good, and then the other person shows up? It changes the entire atmosphere of the room, doesn't it? All of a sudden, what started as a simple, fun evening is now like everybody's calculating like, okay, should I pick like a side? Should I try to play the middle? Should I pretend like I have no idea what's going on? It's complicated. And like the challengers in the group are trying to stir the pot, you know? The peacemakers are like, we gotta get them both in the same room. Let's have them sit down and tell each other three things that they love about each other. Let's work this out. The avoiders are slowly backing up, backing away, wondering if anyone sees them, jumping out the window, getting in their car, putting it in neutral so nobody hears it slide down the street before they can turn the ignition on? Not that I do it, but sometimes Dairy Queen sounds better than the drama. You know, that's all I'm saying. This has happened from the beginning, since Adam and Eve ate the fruit in Genesis 3. They were living in perfect harmony with one another. They were in love perfect harmony with creation, perfect harmony with their creator. And then they decide, you know what, I think we can define good and evil on our own. Everything breaks. Go read Genesis three this week. Everything falls apart. God comes walking in the garden in the coolness of the day and they panic. Fear is introduced because the right side up world has now been flipped upside down. And so they run away and they hide and they sew fig leaves together to cover themselves up out of shame and they start blaming each other. It's her fault, it's his fault. It's the serpent's fault, it's God's fault. Harmony gives way to dissonance and dissonance brings with it complexity. We all know this, we all experience it. 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked into a very complicated world. Like imagine for a second that you grew up in Nazareth. It's a small town about 15 miles south of the Sea of Galilee in Israel in the first century. You're not free, Rome rules the world. And and historians uh, have a phrase called Pax Romana to define these few centuries where Rome ruled the world. It's a Latin phrase for Roman peace because it was a time of unprecedented peace until you dig a little deeper. It was a time of peace as long as you did everything Rome told you to do. It was a time of peace as long as you said everything Rome told you to say as long as you stop doing everything Rome told you to stop doing. If you didn't, you found yourself hanging on a cross. And so life isn't simple, because you're walking around and there's all these Roman soldiers who have the authority to end your life if they want. In addition to that, they're taxing you to fund the very movement that's oppressing you. The tax collectors like, like Matthew would go work for Rome and they would collect your taxes from you and then they were notorious for taking more than they needed to and pocketing the extra. And so now you're just trying to provide for your family but you've got Roman soldiers walking around who can end your life, you've got tax collectors walking around taking a large chunk of your money, you're just trying to get by. And that's just the backdrop. Then you're a human being with friendships and a family and jobs and life. That happens, right? It's complicated. So imagine you live in Nazareth in the first century and you uh, have so many questions. You're just looking for some answers to life's biggest questions and then Saturday morning rolls around, which was this, this, it is the Sabbath in Judaism. You wake up early and you go to the synagogue and you have an experience at that synagogue. We'll pick up the story in Luke chapter four. It says this, he, this is Jesus, went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. This is Jesus' hometown. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. So you see Jesus, but to you, you're like, oh, it's just like the carpenter. I should ask him if he could make me another table. The last one was perfect. Such a cheesy joke. (laughs) So Jesus heads into the synagogue, and he stands up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him pause when you sit down to read your bible this week which i encourage you to do if you don't have one we have one as a gift for you the last 3 the last quarter of your bible is what we call the new testament starts with four books matthew mark luke and john it's the story of jesus a great place to start we're currently reading from the third one from luke the first 3 quarters of your bible is what we call the old testament It's a bunch of stories and psalms and prophecies about the coming Messiah. Jesus is handed the scroll of Isaiah, which was one of the prophets in the Old Testament, and and he is going to open it up, unrolling it. He found the place where it is written. He finds what we now call Isaiah 61. Wasn't that at the time. They didn't have chapter breakdowns at the time, but he finds what we call Isaiah 61, and he starts reading. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Listen to the right side up language in this. To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says this. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, this is like the ultimate mic drop moment of all time. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. By the way, I didn't notice this until this week, but before the mic drop moment, he rolls up the, the thing, the scroll that he's reading, and he hands it back to the attendant. And then he like goes right back down into the crowd and he like takes his seat. And so everybody is there at the synagogue asking all these questions like, man, we feel so oppressed. Like Rome is making it impossible for us to move life forward. And there's sick people everywhere we look. There's bad, like every time we turn on the news, I feel like there's just bad news after bad news after bad news. Life is so complicated. And then Jesus shows up to the synagogue, reads Isaiah 61, sits down, and goes, hey, that was about me, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Like, hey, I actually have really good news. Uh, Like, I'm actually going to go heal everybody who is sick. I'm actually going to go set all the oppressors free. Like, I'm actually going to go into an upside-down world and flip it right side up. He doesn't just say it, he does it. Everywhere Jesus went, he was like a walking wedding celebration of heaven meeting earth. Demons leave, blind eyes are open, relationships restored, repentance happens, freedom happens. Everywhere Jesus goes, he flips an upside down world right side up. And then in the greatest right side up moment the history has ever recorded, Jesus lays down his life taking the complexity of an upside-down world on his shoulders so that we can experience the freedom and simplicity on the other side of the complexity. Hebrews 10 says it like this. For by one sacrifice, if you want to live a simple life this week, memorize Hebrews ten fourteen. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We quote this verse all the time because we're just a bunch of imperfect people trying to pursue a perfect God, trying to figure it out. So I need a reminder. I needed a reminder this week. Hey, because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, I'm already made perfect. And now, I'm just in the daily process of learning to be more like Jesus. But you have to get the first part, already made perfect. If you don't, Life will continue to be so complicated as you continue to, to try to, to hit a level of perfection that none of us are going to be able to hit. Jesus lays down his life so that we can already be made perfect and then we get up every morning and we get to play with house money. And just do our best to, to love people, to be more like Jesus and to turn the world right side up. It's amazing. It's the message of Jesus. Uh, I grew up hearing pastors pose this question. They go, if Jesus walked into this church, what would he say? What would he do? And it's usually like framed around like condemnation, <laughs> you know, like haze machine? Lights? You think Jesus had haze? <laughs> like, I don't think they had electricity, you know. <laughs> If he had a sound system, he probably would have used it. Like, if Jesus walked in here, he would be over in the merch mart flipping over the tables of all the shirts, the books. Ethan has a story. He was in seventh grade at youth group, sitting in the back, not paying attention. Kind of like what he does now. And the person who's preaching is talking about Jesus clearing the temple. And he's just like messing around with his buddy. And then before he knows it, he looks over and the donut table is flying through the air. Because the person goes, this is why you're here, and flips the table. Like, you're not here to love people. You're here just for the donuts. And Ethan was sitting there like, yeah. And because my parents made me come to church, what's, what's the problem, you know? Um, that person got fired, I think, by the way, for that weird <laughs> whole thing. For some reason, we always, like, couch that question with condemnation. Like, you're not doing enough. And yet the more that I learn about Jesus, the more that I read the gospels, the more that I get to to, to know the heart of Jesus, I just respectfully disagree. Think of Jesus walked into the church today, he'd look around and go, are you guys okay? Everybody all right? Like everybody take a breath. Why is there this like low grade anxiety that we're not doing enough when I already did everything that needed to be done? when I already perfected some very imperfect people, and now you guys are just playing with house money doing your best. We overcomplicate it, don't we? They tried to overcomplicate it on Jesus back in the day. Matthew 22 says this. "Um, One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest? By the way, don't you love it that he's asking just to test? Like you ever have somebody ask you a question and you just know it's like a leading question? I kind of feel like you just want to tell me your opinion so we can just skip this whole step and you can just. (laughs) Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? (laughs) I love Jesus. Listen to the simplicity in a complex world. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love actually doesn't have to be that complicated. We can just love each other. Go back to Matthew 11 real quick. That's why Jesus said things like this. Come to me, if you're weary, burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Or as Eugene Peterson says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I know that life started out simple and I know that it got very complicated along the way but I've come to restore the simplicity that's on the other side of that complexity and it starts with you coming to me, taking my yoke, my lifestyle upon you and learning from me. That's where the rest for your soul is found. So let's talk about you. I want to throw out just a couple ideas for for what it would look like to maybe simplify your life a little bit this week. And my challenge is just just pick one. Don't don't overcomplicate your simplicity. Like don't make this just like another thing. I've got 20 things I need to do and then I need to simplify my life, right? That's striving. That's striving. Jesus goes, "Just, just come on. So let's talk about stuff, like actual stuff, items. Tangible way to start. I read a study this week that the average American doesn't use 80% of the things they have. 80% of the things they have. That's crazy. That means if we could just pay attention to what we are using and not using, and then get past the emotional attachment we have to the stuff we don't use, we could just get rid of it. And this is, this is not like go be a monk in the mountains you could live the exact same way that you're living today just with 80% less stuff and so walking into your room and going do i really need this and then taking the stuff that the answer is no to and sharing it with people who could use it is a very jesus thing to do that's turning the, the, the world right side up and it, and and there is something that happens when it comes time to do that where you're like kind of, oh, but I don't know. But then every time you actually do it, you feel like a million dollars. See, because Jesus' message is not complicated. It's very simple. It doesn't mean it's easy. It takes a lot of faith, but it's simple. Jesus said it like, like this in Mark 6. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money. In your belts, wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Now, pause for a second. You're allowed to have extra shirts in your closet. Somebody pointed out that I'm currently wearing two shirts, okay? (laughs) We don't have to take Jesus literally in this verse, but my goodness, let's at least take him figuratively. It's kinda like the, the rich young ruler story you know that one where the, the, the zealous young guy who is like so about making his way in this world and posts all about like how early he's up and like uses the word hustle in every other line and has like a tattoo of Gary Vee on his back or whatever, you know? Jesus walks up to him and gives him this sweet invitation to just go sell all of that and come follow him. You can't do it and we read that And we panic, we go, wait, does that mean like I have to sell everything? And eventually we work through it and we go, no, maybe Jesus was saying something deeper than that. But then I feel like the move is to go, oh, thank God. You know, and then we just go like right back to not changing our lifestyle at all. No, you don't have to take it literally, but at least take it figuratively. At least see the invitation Jesus is giving us to, to release some of our stuff. And release the constant need for more. I was reading uh, Feeding the 5,000 this week and it's a brilliant story for so many reasons, mostly because Jesus is just multiplying food, it's awesome. But somewhere further down, I realized this week there's another miracle going on. 5,000 people and they're all hungry. Have you ever been around a hungry crowd before? Hangry, I think is probably the better word. And yet all of them just seem to be like sharing. Realizing that we have more than enough. Jesus is here. And so there's plenty for everybody. And so I'm not gonna cut in line. I'm not gonna steal food. I'm not gonna stuff my pockets. Like let's all just sit down and have a meal together. Because when we get past, the the upside down kingdom says hoard everything you have. The right side up reality of the kingdom of heaven is an invitation to open our hands and share and realize that there's actually more than enough. First year um, of Red Rocks, somebody came up to me after service, I just said, hey, um, if you need anything from the basket in the back, please feel free to take whatever you need, um, that's the family pot. And somebody sat down with me and they were asking in a very humble way, they were just struggling with that, that mentality, they go, I just, I'm just asking questions. And so we have this great conversation and at some point the line was, I feel like, it was humble, it was love, I was just trying to figure it out. He goes, I feel like we're enabling people with handouts. And at some level, in the upside down world, like that's probably happened, probably some truth to that. And yet, in the right side up reality of the kingdom of heaven, we're actually empowering people by investing into their lives, saying you belong here. You have a seat at this table. You may have fallen on hard times, but this is not the end of your story. Let's get you back up on your feet. Let's get you surrounded by people who are super passionate about building resumes and crushing job interviews, and let's start speaking some purpose into your life, because I just believe, hold. (laughs) I just believe that three years from now, somebody else is gonna walk through these doors down on their luck. And it's gonna be you who's ready to go, hey, I got this one. I know how it feels to be in your shoes. Come with me, let's go get some lunch. Let's go figure this out. And applause. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's something that doesn't feel right about the Right Side Up kingdom, and yet there's a deeper part of us that just knows, like this is the way it was always supposed to be. Your schedule. Can I let some people off the hook? You can't be in more than one place at once. You just can't. I know we live in a world that demands it. I know that people like to try to make you feel bad if you can't, but it's just not possible. Jesus said it like this. Just let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. And if you've already said yes to one thing tonight, don't say yes to another thing. And let's give each other grace for that because we can't do it all. And when we try to be present at everything, we end up not being present at all at anything because we're just thinking about the next thing that we need to get out to. There's simplicity on the other side of, of, of our schedules. And if we would this week let ourselves off the hook, I think we could find it. Simplify your schedule. We've got great, three great, amazing partners in the lobby Ethan's gonna tell you more about who are doing amazing things in this city, helping kids, mentoring kids, teaching kids how to read. As you look at your fall schedule, maybe you go, you know what, I need to take out some of this stuff. And just like half an hour a week or a month, I'm just gonna think about Think about somebody else. And just watch, just watch this fall and see what happens. Simplify your schedule. Relationships, it's a big one. Whether it's romantic or friendship, family, coworker, neighbor, we all have so many relationships in our lives. And they can get really complicated in this upside down world, can't they? Because intentionally or unintentionally, we just hurt each other. We make mistakes. We say things we wish. Have you ever said something and wish that you could like grab it in the air before it reaches the other person, you know? Just, okay, cool, just me. It's fine. <laughs> Imperfect people, we're gonna make mistakes. Um, what if this week we stop keeping score? What if this week we put down the scorecard and we said, you know what? I'm just gonna take the high road every time and I'm just gonna forgive even when I don't wanna forgive. I'm gonna love when I don't wanna love and I'm gonna speak life over you even when I don't feel like speaking life over you. On Wednesday night, I had a phone call scheduled with a friend at 7 p.m. Supposed to talk about a conversation we've been needing to have. I go to the coffee shop at 4 p.m. I get in the zone, all of a sudden it's 9 p.m. I know, I get home, I'm feeling really good about the day and then it hits me, oh, I forgot, I totally forgot. Too late to call so I shoot a text over and I say, hey, um, I'm so sorry this is on me, I did not respect your time, my bad. And uh, for a while, I, I didn't know like how the response was gonna be because you guys, you've been in that situation. You know, like sometimes it can be like a passive aggressive thing or it can be a joke with a lot of like, you know, mixed in. Sometimes it can just be anger. Sometimes it can be like, that's oh, fine, but you know like you, they're keeping score at some level, like this is gonna come back later and something. I wake up Thursday morning to a text that just says, hey, don't worry. Let yourself off the hook. Life is hard, life is complicated. There's there's a lot going on. Don't think about it for one more second. Let's try again next week. Simplicity. That's the simplicity that we can have in our relationships. We just have to be willing to put in the work. And listen, I just, this is a message on simplicity, so I oversimplified that. I know that pain is real, and I know that bitterness is hard and all of that. But man, maybe Jesus was giving us an invitation when he said things like, uh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Maybe he's actually given us an invitation to the simplicity on the other side of holding on to grudges. Because that person let me off the hook, they also let themselves off the hook. They could have stayed up all night going, I can't believe this guy. Instead, of right "No, life happens. There's simplicity in our relationships on the other side of the complexity, but it takes living like Jesus. So this message is a really personal message for me um, because I'm not like, especially on this one, this is true always, but especially in this message, I'm not the guy going, I figured this out, everybody come with me. I'm the one going, I'm caught in the complexity right now and I just believe because I believe what Jesus said, that there's simplicity on the other side and I'm trying to navigate my way through this complex world to find that simplicity. That's where I'm at. That's what ministry is for me. What I get to do, what we get to do is incredibly simple. Tell people about Jesus. Make heaven more crowded. Figure out ways to be a light in this world and in this community. It's so simple, and yet it's infinitely complicated. And there's questions and there's situations And there's like, every time there's a move of the spirit, there's structure that needs to be put in place and structure is a good thing. It allows the spirit to to continue to move. But then sometimes that structure can take over and you can lose the spirit in the process. And so four months ago, I was having one of those days after a series of emails where I was just so caught up in the complexity of all of it. I went to the coffee shop, it's a theme in my life. And I'm sitting there thinking about this series right side up, and a thought pops into my head. Hey, maybe there's actually a children, children's story in here. Like maybe what C.S. Lewis was telling Lucy all those years ago, that uh, you're gonna grow up and get smart and be too old for, for children's books, but then one day you're gonna get to a point where you're ready for them again. Maybe God's inviting me into that process right now. What if we took this very complicated situation and told a very simple story about it? And so I sit at my computer and for the next four hours, I start writing out this story about this kid named Benji who wakes up in an upside down world. I'm telling you, I was laughing so hard at it that I was was crying laughing, sitting at the, the table. The barista comes up and goes, hey, are you okay? It, I, because there was something like being set free in me as I, was, as I was writing it. It's so silly and it's so simple and yet it's sacred. It's this sacred reminder that there's actually simplicity on the other side of the complexity. And so I thought, you know what, the best way to end this sermon would be to read this story together. Because here the, here's the thing, this story is dedicated to, to every kid at Red Rocks Kids uh, in the hopes that it'll make them laugh, but it'll also remind them that their job is very simple, just turn things right side up in this world. But it's also dedicated to everybody in this room, all of us like me who are too smart for children's stories, in the hopes that maybe today will be the day we realize we're we're old enough now for children's stories again. We're old enough again for the simplicity on the other side of that complexity. So let's read together. Benji woke up in an upside down bed with his PJs on backwards and a thought in his head. Something was different, something was new and the shoe on his hand was the very first clue. While brushing his teeth, he had a strange feeling and when he spit out his toothpaste, it fell to the ceiling. So he ran down the stairs at a quarter past eight but when he tried to eat breakfast, it fell off his plate. Benji's dog bucket was dying of thirst, but when he refilled his his bowl, it just made things worse. His mom had been watering her daisies for hours. What's wrong with these vases? They're killing my flowers. His dad yelled at the TV, let's get this thing fixed. Every time I click nine, it takes me to six. Shout out to Doug. That's my favorite line in the entire thing. That was him. Bella, his sister, could not catch a break. Her homework was due, but it was full of mistakes. And when he picked up his backpack and ran off to school, his science project fell out and splashed in the pool. Everything is upside down. He got to school stressed and his teacher could tell. What's the problem? She asked him, why aren't you well? Benji cried, ah, everything is upside down. Nothing makes sense, I'm so turned around. So she calmed Benji down as best as she could And with kindness, she told him that she understood. When this happens to me, I stop and read scripture because Jesus helps me to make sense of the picture. When people were hungry and ran out of bread, Jesus shared what he had and made sure they were fed. When he saw someone hurting on the side of the street, he reached out and helped them stand up on their feet. When people were mean, Jesus didn't fret. He was quick to forgive. He was quick to forget. So when you're feeling flustered and don't know what to do, stop and remember that Jesus loves you. Because sometimes life feels like it's all upside down, and that's why he came to turn things around. Jesus turned things right side up. Right at that moment, Benji knew what to do. He ran back to his family to share his good news. It turns out Bella's homework was just upside down. So he smiled and showed her how to turn it around. He picked his mom's flowers up off of the floor. He put them back in the vase how they were before. Then he suddenly knew how to fix the TV. Dad, if we flip it back over, you'll be able to see. He ran around the house to look for his pup. Don't worry, Bucket, now your bowl's right side up. His family was happy and no longer concerned. They gathered around and he told them everything he had learned. Sometimes the world can feel upside down, but Jesus came to turn things around. So when life gets you down and it starts to feel tough, we can all be like Jesus, turn things right side up. That's what we're here to do. It's simple. Doesn't mean it's easy. It takes faith, but it's simple. So let's turn this world right side up. Would you guys stand with me? Father, we love you so much. We thank you for this right side up reality of the kingdom of heaven. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would teach us how to live in it more this week. Would we find the simplicity on the other side of complexity? And would we be like Benji and Jesus and turn this world right side up?